You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. From Ecclesiastes 3:16-22. I also noticed that under the sun there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. I said to myself, in due season God will judge everyone, both good and bad for all their deeds. I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people that they are like animals. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over the animals. How meaningless. Both go to the same place they came from, dust, and they return to dust. For who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life, and no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. You may, well, you're already seated. You too may be seated. Way to go, Glenda. Glenda Faith, ladies and gentlemen. One of the matriarchs of the church, just shining your light, sister. Way to go. Um, Well, welcome, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name's Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Um, I guess he's not here. I'm assuming he'll be here, but my dad goes to this church, which is awesome and a little bit strange at times, but uh, I'm grateful for my father. If you know my dad, you know... um, yeah, what a good man he is and how fortunate you are to be in his presence. So uh, yeah, thanks dads. It's a gift to have a good father. Uh, so for you good dads out there and you people with a good heavenly father, happy Father's Day. Um, thankful that you guys are here. I want you to imagine for a moment that your life is a circle. We have a drawing up there for you. I, I made this on a word processor. Your life. So inside the circle of your life, are all of the things that you are immediately responsible for. Your lawn would be in there. Think about inside of the circle, if you have a lawn. Not everybody has a lawn. I get it. I didn't have a lawn for a long time. Everything inside of the circle are the things that you have some influence over in your life. The things where you can take action and you can do something about it. So your life represents... Y'all following me? You with me? I know it's 9 a.m. on Father's Day and we're thinking about brunch and everything, but you have a circle with your life in it. Now, imagine there's a larger circle outside of the smaller circle. Not quite a Venn diagram, concentric circles. See? Because we made it in a word processor, it made it more of an oval, but it's a circle. It can, your life can be an oval if you want. Uh, everything in the bigger circle is everything else that's happening in the world. Uh, this picture is not to scale. If you think about what, is, what you're able to control in your life in this circle... And then everything outside of your life that you have no vote in, no say over there, that's everything that's outside of the circle. So if you can't take direct action on it, if no one cares what you think about it, if you have no influence over it, it goes in the outer circle. Uh, You all can see how much bigger the outer circle is than the inner circle. Amen. You following me? You got a little tiny circle in the middle. You got a, there's a 
big, big world out there with a whole bunch of stuff that you have no control over. Last week, we talked about the delights and disquiets of life. Uh, from the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the delights, the things that make us smile, and the disquiets, the things that bring us tears and pain. One of the challenges, yeah, leave, leave my artistic rendering up there for a moment, please. I'm just so proud of it. One of the problems of our current life, society, digital age, is that things like so social media or 24-7 news, it takes all of the disquiets of the world and it invades them into your little tiny circle. You understand what I mean by that? Every day, have you ever heard the phrase, if it bleeds, it leads? That's an old newspaper saying, meaning basically if it's violent or scary, that's what goes into the news. Because uh, here's another little, little tidbit. Man, 30 seconds in, we're off the notes already. <laughs> Mainstream news outlets are not in the business of providing news. They're in the business of selling ads. You understand what I'm saying? If I can get you to watch it, then the price for my ads go up and then I can buy my yacht. That's, what the, that's the business model. Get more people to watch so I can sell more money. So we'll, we'll take the scary, everything frightening, everything uncertain, everything that's dangerous out there in the world, and we will invade it into your little circle where you can do almost literally nothing about it. If you ever wonder why you're per perpetually anxious, one of the worst things, if you're a boss, one of the worst things you can do to somebody is give them the anxiety of a problem without the authority to deal with it. And we have this, this situation now where we are surrounded and inundated with the world's problems, and most of us can do very little about it. The, the preacher references here, the end of Ecclesiastes 3, those big circle problems of the world. He moves beyond the problems of his own inner circle, that little tiny dot in the middle, and he notices something else that's bigger than just his own personal problems. In verse 16, he says, I also noticed that under the sun, there is evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. He's, he's talking about the, the legal and the law system. He's saying something about this, even the wickedness that we experience in our own hearts, it goes into the laws and systems of a place, and even the, the laws and systems that are meant to be there for good, even courts, even justice. Why do we have courts? Why, why do we have laws at all? Well, to some degree, to maintain order in society, to keep us from devolving into utter chaos and, and anarchy. Justice here, you know, for the, the idea for a Christian is defined by the Lord's Prayer or, or the Sermon on the Mount. You could say, well, what, what are courts intended to be or what should we be arguing or working for? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we've been talking about for years now when it comes to justice. We want to honor every human as an image bearer of God. And so as a society, we create courts, we create authorities and laws and Christians try to steer them so that they ensure all people are treated like image bearers of God, that, that wrongs are made right, that things are dealt with fairly. But what do we see? Evil, wickedness lurks even in those places of justice, even in our legal system. There are disquiets in our personal life that we can respond to, that we have some action over or some agency over. We talked about this last week, that rhythm of stop, look, and enjoy. But what do we do about the disquiets of life that we can do nothing about or that we have no control over? What do we do when systems become corrupted? 
when halls of justice become houses of wickedness. Uh, let me give you one quick example recently. And I'm, there's children in the room, so I'm going to talk a little bit generically, let the reader understand. Um, there's a former reality TV star who became really popular, really famous as this like ideal Christian homeschool family, all, a whole bunch of kids. And one of the children confessed to abusing four of his sisters and a babysitter. This was several years ago. We shouldn't go to the police, though, because that's not what Christians do, right? Just forgive one another. That was, that was the saying. That's not what Christians do, by the way. That's what abusive systems say. They say, let's just deal with it together. Let's talk about it. Let's forgive one another. And so that's what, that's what they did. He also confessed to committing adultery in various forms and various ways um, against his wife. And now recently, just in the last several weeks, he was arrested by the FBI for having illegal pictures on his computer. You understand what I'm saying? You understand? He had things on his computer that he shouldn't have had on his computer. While he's waiting for trial, the judge sent him home, where he's got somewhere around seven children at home. And you know what the judge said to him as he released him on to go home while he's waiting for trial? He said, don't make me regret this. And this isn't a guy where we're like, we're not saying innocent until proven guilty here. The man has confessed to these things. Multiple times he's done these things against the most vulnerable people in a society. And what does our courts say? Why don't you just go home and try really hard not to do anything bad? Does that smell like justice to you? How would you feel if those were your nieces and nephews? And yet that's the decision of the court. What are we, what do we do about that? What do we do when our houses of justice become houses of wickedness. Stories like what I just shared with you are common now. Abuses, cover-ups, shortchanging justice, and often it's the most vulnerable who pay the bill. Even in the place of judgment and ju justice, wickedness is there. These are the scenarios the preacher has in mind here in the second half of Ecclesiastes 3. What do we do with injustice that is in some ways above our pay grade or outside our circles of influence. He offers us two words of peace, two pathways that we can come to try to reconcile this or at least hold the wickedness out there. Uh, the first thing that he reminds us is that the judgment of God is inevitable. In verse 17, he says, I said to myself, in due season, God will judge everyone, good and bad, for all of their deeds. As he said last week, there is a time for everything. And within that everything, that means there is a time for judgment. Though our earthly courts will fail us, though institutions will fail victims, God will not. Judgment day is real and it is coming for each one of us. No one gets away with it. Maybe for a time, it may seem like people get away with it, but one day every wrong will be made right. That is our first road to peace. God will judge everyone. No one will get away with it. Now, if that's all you know about God, that's not necessarily a comforting thought. Knowing God will judge is not necessarily good news if we don't know what he is like. Is he kind or is he cruel? Is he consistent or is he arbitrary? Does he play favorites? The, last week, the preacher described God this way in verse 14. He says, everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. 
Everything God does endures forever because God endures forever. Did you see that weird part about animals right there at the end of the, you know, like, will, will animals die? And who knows if animals go to hell or they go to heaven? And it's an age-old debate, all dogs go to heaven kind of a situation. What's he talking about there? He's implicitly saying, God is not like you. You were made from the dust and you have breath in your lungs and one day your breath will go out and just like the animals, you will return to dust. And implicitly there, he's telling us God endures forever. You and I can't fathom the full scope of God's plan and we cannot change what he does. But this God, this eternal, unchanging God is the one who sits on the judgment throne. It's not you, it's not me. It's an eternal, unchanging God. First Timothy describes God this way. He says, all honor and glory to God forever. Here it is again. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. No one sits on the judgment seat, but the eternal God. This, you know, believe it or not, the Bible talks about what God is like all over the place. Romans 16, for instance, says that God is the only wise one. So when you're trying to say who is on this judgment throne, if you want to know whether or not it's good news or not, that judgment day is coming, you have to realize we have an eternal, wise, good, fair, just God. That's the second road to peace. Judgment day is coming and judgment will be meted out by a good God. When we see wickedness in the halls of justice, we have to remember all injustice is temporary. Wherever we see it in society, Wherever we see wrongs that seem to be getting away, the Christian looks at that and says, all injustice is temporary. We have a good God whose judgment will be good and judgment day is coming. When we see evil in our laws, we remember no one gets away with it in the end. What is done in the dark will be brought into the light and God will judge. This empowers us to see even grave injustices as reminders of God's promises. When we see something isn't right, that points us to the promise of God's judgment. He does not lie. The cries of victims never fall on deaf ears. So instead of allowing the uncertainty of evil in our world to move us to despair or to throw up our arms and say, nothing matters, we allow the evil and uncertainty in our world to point us to the promise of a good God who will judge all deeds with wisdom. May we be a people who see injustice in the world and remember that judgment is coming. Judgment is coming and no one gets away with it. So internally, when we see the chaos in the world out there, when we see injustice, even in the legal systems, even in courtrooms, we are a people who remind ourselves, who ground ourselves in the reality that judgment is coming and that that is a good thing. Judgment is coming and God, the good judge, will judge wisely. That's our internal response. We ground ourselves there. How are we to act in light of this, though? How does that show up in our real life? If, if we believe that God is a God of justice and that judgment is coming, how does that affect the way we actually live? In, in my experience, so this is pure anecdotal. I'd have no data supporting this. It seems to me that the people who are most concerned with world affairs are the most unproductive locally. You know what I mean by that? The, the people who, ha, who are wrapped up in the world cons, worldly concerns are the most unknown in their neighborhoods. What do I mean? Have, have you noticed the temptation that comes with all of the world's injustices? 
when we're inundated, which Facebook frame am I supposed to put on my profile picture today to show which deed or thing, thing that I care about? And it becomes this performative deal where, where we're, we're displaying our righteousness before one another just to make sure that we're popular and doing the right thing. When we are so aware of all of the world's injustices, it tends to pull our eyes and our attention out there. And, or in other words, outside of our circle. It, it pulls our gaze into the, the larger, bigger circle. And I, I just wonder how many of us know the evil of the world better than we know the evils of our neighborhood. How many of us could, could speak more eloquently about the evils of some system somewhere else out there and not the evils that are happening in our local school systems? Or pay, fill in the blank. I will tell you this. God's favorite instrument of earthly justice. Not the only way, but his preferred way of bringing about earthly justice is his people, the church, getting to work where they are, being instruments of God's justice, instruments, agents of his kingdom, them going to work right where they are. Do you remember how Jesus described the kingdom of God? Remember, he's like, it's like a bulldozer with a bullhorn that lets everybody know what's coming and plows the street. No, that's not what he said, right? He said the kingdom of God is a mustard seed. And how many mustard seeds have we walked by in our life but thought it was small, insignificant, not even worthy of being noticed? In, in other words, our response to the injustices of the world, we have that internal posture where we remember what's true of God and his promises, and then we work for justice inside of our circle where we have influence. We put our focus and our attention on whatever is inside that smaller circle. This was the preacher's conclusion, verse 22. <laughs> I love this book. I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That is our lot in life. Happy, we could translate this here as to rejoice or, or be satisfied in. He's saying there's nothing better than to find satisfaction in the work that is right in front of you, right now. Be satisfied there. Rejoice in that. And the work for you to do, at least you who've claimed Christ as Lord, is to be an agent of God's coming kingdom. That is the work fundamentally that we are about. We find satisfaction while living in the tension of justice promise and justice fulfilled. Do you know what I'm saying by that? We have a promise that justice will come and that all things will be made new again. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have that promise and it's not yet entirely fulfilled. We can find satisfaction in that tension by remembering a good God will judge and then working for justice where we are right now. This has been the movement of Ecclesiastes from the beginning. Get your eyes and attention off of out there, off of tomorrow, off of the future, and right here, right now, to your right here, right now life where you can do something about it. Take responsibility for whatever is inside of your circle and trust God for everything outside of it. One of my favorite verses, y'all remember life verses? You also have life verses? That's the thing where it's like, this is what my whole life is going to be. I guess that's what it's about. It's an old like Baptist Sunday school thing. I didn't grow up Baptist, so I'm learning the church stuff. This is my life verse though. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Let me, let me put that in a modern version here. I don't think about things above my pay grade. I just don't think about things that are above my pay grade. I don't get spun up on things that I have no influence or no control over. I get no say in that. 
So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to focus my attention on that. Instead, I'm going to focus my attention on the things that are right in front of me that I can do something about. Like what my children think a man is or what my children think a woman is, or what my children think a home-cooked meal is, or what a Christian is. I have a whole bunch of influence on three little humans in my world. So they get a ton of my focus and energy. King David wrote that, if you didn't know, Psalm 131. He was one of the most powerful men in the world, and even he recognized that there were things above his pay grade. He doesn't get to say in how the universe runs or what happens in these other places. So listen, you don't have influence over the whole world, so don't concern yourself with the whole world. It's a surefire way to fill your life with anxiety, guilt, fear. The only place you experience and serve God, the only place you experience and serve God is right here. Meaning today, right now, wherever you are that's right in front of you. One of, the, one of the real wicked things about the evils of the world is they detach us from the evils of our neighborhood where we can actually work for justice. We can get so consumed by the injustices of the world that we become impotent or ineffective in the places where we can actually do something about it right here, right now. So practically, we work for justice locally and we trust the rest of the world to the hands of the judge. The only way we do this, the only way we can do this, is if we are absolutely convinced that God is just and that justice will be served and accomplished. Otherwise, it'll just be pie-in-the-sky optimism. Or it'll just be like, well, I'm thankful I live here and not somewhere else because life is pretty good here. The only way we can take this kind of posture is if we are absolutely convinced that we serve a God of justice who keeps his promises. And so here's your assurance. Romans 3 tells us this. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Listen, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times, for he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. God is just and righteous. His law will be upheld, but God is also loving and merciful. So how do these two meet? How can the wrath of God and the mercy of God live together? And it is at the cross of Christ where Jesus would shed his own blood as the sacrifice for our sins, God's justice would be fulfilled at the cross as sin was atoned for. We are covered in that blood through our faith in Jesus and declared righteous. So on judgment day, these are the options. We will either fall to our knees and plead for safety under the blood of Jesus, or we will face judgment based on our own merits, based on our own deeds. God gave his own son to accomplish this. We will either receive that and plead his blood or you will give an account for what you have done before a righteous and holy judge. There is, there's just no middle ground on this. We plead the blood of Jesus or we give an account and a defense for our works. So for we who stand today cleansed by the blood of Jesus, I want to give you two ways to fight evil in this world. 
One is just to make justice a regular rhythm of your life. What, again, what is justice? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And listen, I'm going to say this one real slow now. Um, not every ounce of your Christian life needs to be planned and programmed by the church. Amen? Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Uh, the church staff needs one more amen for that. Amen. Not every ounce of your Christian life needs to be practiced or needs to be planned or programmed by the church. Our best program in the church is our people living as sent ones, as agents of God's kingdom. So as a church, we are a choose-your-own-adventure church. You don't need to have it all. You don't need to have the invite cards printed up for everything you want to do in the name of Jesus. So let me just try to get your juices flowing a little bit. Uh, find the brothers and sisters in your neighborhood. I promise you, there are, we're in Indiana, you guys. There are Christians in your neighborhood. There are probably Christians from this church in your neighborhood. Find them and find something to do together. It, it, here's the questions to answer. How can we make this neighborhood more like the kingdom of God? Maybe we need to make it more beautiful. Maybe we need to make it safer. Maybe we need to make it more educated. Maybe we need to make it cleaner. I mean, it can just be something so small. I promise you there was someone in your neighborhood who feels isolated and lonely. I just promise you that. There's someone who feels detached and sad about how their life is turned out. There is, I bet within walking distance of you, or at least a five-minute drive, there is a hungry child very close to where you live. There's someone who could use a mentor. There's someone who could use a meal. Maybe if you live somewhere where there isn't something obvious going on, it's not obvious for you guys to see. Maybe expand your circle just a little bit. Um, request a meeting with the principal of, the, of a local school or of the superintendent and ask a question like, what is a problem you feel like no one is paying attention to? I guarantee you they will have something to say. That's where Summer Academy, that's coming up in a couple of weeks. That's where that whole thing came from. We asked the principal of Slate Run, what is something you feel like no one is paying attention to in our town? Um, not here's all of our plans to make your school better. It was what is a problem that you feel like no one's paying attention to? So ask. You can meet that need. You can step in and do something about that. You want community? You want friends? You want to feel like you're on a shared mission with somebody? Then do something like this something small, ordinary, and regular, that you can make a rhythm of your life and friendships. So this needs to be a regular rhythm. This is normal Christianity for us living as salt and light in the world around you. Um, now, I've, I've learned over the years that choose your own adventure Christianity is overwhelming for some people. And you, you want at least parts of your Christianity to be planned and programmed. So we, we plan and program some things. Um, we, have, we have options. I'm just going to give you one option. Next month, we have a free health and wellness clinic. Uh, we're offering free mammograms, blood tests. We're checking car seats. We're doing all kinds of things to help people out who can't afford to get their own health care. We've got several doctors and nurses that are signed up to help. The, the big need that we have, or where there's the most room for people to serve, is just friendly people who are willing to show up and help out to walk somebody through the clinic, to welcome somebody, to pick up trash, any number of things like that. Um, it's basic, we need non-medical roles for people to help out. We, we have the privilege of caring for the bodies of vulnerable people in our neighborhood. We as a church are not in a position to solve any problems with the United States healthcare. Amen, you see that? We, we are a barely medium-sized town 
in a small city in flyover country. Nobody cares about what's going on in our church. We're not going to go and petition the government and change the whole healthcare system, but we can provide healthcare for people who don't have it or who need it right here in our neighborhood. So let's put our hands to work and do something right here. It's just, it's just a few weeks away. Um, we're going to earn the right to share the gospel with people in our neighborhood by loving them well and serving them well. You can sign up on the app. You can sign up via a Connect card. But those are just two options of what I mean, getting involved local. Small acts of faith lead to large impacts in Christ's kingdom. Again, because Christ's kingdom is like a mustard seed. It looks small and unremarkable, but has untold power waiting to grow. And so I just I want to end with one little story that I think encapsulates what I'm talking about, living in this tension and focusing on what's right in front of us to do. Um, yesterday, anybody know what yesterday was? Somebody say it. Juneteenth. Juneteenth. And for some of you, this is a brand new holiday. And you're like, what in the world? We've got, a, we've got a new holiday. Something that should have been a holiday probably 150 years ago, but it took 150 years for it to happen. So let me, let me explain to you what it is and why I think it's a big deal for us. Um, so President Lincoln signed, that's Abraham Lincoln, by the way. That's not the current president, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, which set the slaves in the United States free. Slavery was no longer permissible in the United States. This was in 1862 after the Union won the Civil War. Justice had been served, amen? Amen. That was justice. We fought a whole war over it. We fought a whole war over it. And the good guys won and we made it illegal. Justice is served, right? There's justice for you. Well, many southern states just said, no, we're good. I'm glad that you guys said it's illegal, but no. So after the Civil War, what had to happen is Union, the Union Army had to march through the South and literally set people free. They had to go and enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. And it was two and a half years later when General Gordon Granger showed up in Texas and declared that the last slaves in the United States were free on June 19th, 1865. Justice had been served in 1862, but it hadn't been fulfilled until 1865. And there were still slaves being held for at least another year in the United States after that. Do you know who the, where the first Juneteenth celebrations took place? It took place in Texas. Do you know who celebrated first? It was the church. Churches were the first place to celebrate Juneteenth. Why? Because Christians more than anyone else understands what it means to have justice served but not yet realized where we live in the tension of waiting for the Union Army to show up and enforce what has already happened. In Christ, we know justice has been served and we are waiting for it to be fulfilled. It won't be, it won't be fully realized until Christ returns, but we know it is coming. And so we get to decide, will we, will we live as agents of that coming kingdom or will we remain as people living in the world? So as Christians, with our hope fixed on Christ's coming kingdom, we get to work building that kingdom now. And every week we ground ourselves in the promise of his coming kingdom by calling our minds to the night that Jesus was betrayed. This is where justice is promised. 
He takes a loaf of bread, blessed it, thanked God for it. And he looked to his friends and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. When the meal was over, he took a cup of wine. And in the same way, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. So every Sunday we remember what Christ has done for us and that we live in the tension of justice promised and justice fulfilled. And while we wait for his return, we will get to work building his kingdom right here. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.